Gets it off. Sutter is up with it there. Right around in front. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. Leading goal scorer on the team. Threw one in front. It's the TC Martin Show. A tie game on the power play. Hodgson was at the front of the net. They are even. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor. A power play goal by the captain. TC Martin. It's brushed on back by Richard Foxhoff. Right out front. Younger fed inside of the net. Now in. And a very good Tuesday to you. What a crazy, busy sports day and evening coming your way. Major League Baseball playoffs as we speak. The Houston Astros about ready to put the Chicago White Sox away. Well, at least one of us hopes that that is the case. Giants-Dodgers tonight could be a... A serious clincher if the Giants win tonight. And, of course, the same thing goes with the Atlanta Braves and the Milwaukee Brewers. So plenty of Major League Baseball on tap. We've got it all covered here for you today. Steve Sachs will join us a little bit later on this hour. We talked to Saxy, the two-time World Series champ, and, of course, the five-time All-Star. We'll get his thoughts about all of these series. We'll keep you updated on everything, two games going on as we speak. And then we know what's happening tonight. Vegas Golden Knights season opener. Yes, it is here. Hockey season is back officially. And the Golden Knights taking on the new <laughs> Seattle Kraken. So we'll be at a T-Mobile Arena tonight. Look forward to that. Brian Blessing, of course, does the fantastic job right before us. Vegas uh, Hockey Hotline, Sportsbook Radio, everything you know in, in between, nationally, locally. My guy is here. He's going to hang with us as we talk a little VGK opening night. What's well, up, Brian? Some of us are hoping for, no matter who does it, two more runs in the White Sox game. Oh, you have the over, in other words. Yes. No, it's okay. Eight and a half. I, 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 I got six faith one in the six. I got, I got a shot. You know what? The, uh, the Astros are doing their part. Okay. Yes, they are. So, so, so do not blame the Astros. You know, it's that, buzzers or no buzzers. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Bob Aram is going to join us a little bit later on today as well, too. We will recap one of the wildest, uh, craziest, and really one of the best heavyweight fights we've seen in a long, long time. Fury nuts, Wilder. Huh? It was great. It was great. And talk about the electricity in that building uh, at T-Mobile Arena on Saturday night was fantastic. So we'll recap that with Bob. And, of course, a look ahead as well to uh, Terrence Crawford and Sean Porter. That's coming up here November 20th, so a lot on the table. Sam Gordon's going to join us a little bit later as well, too, as we recap everything again and give you updates with John Gruden and the Raiders fiasco. The thing that's unbelievable about a fight night, and it's hard to explain to people, and uh, there used to be big fight nights in Buffalo in, when you're sitting ringside, or ringside and at the Garden Arena. The, the, of all the things I've been to, I thought you were talking about the streets of Buffalo. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's too cold. You hurt your knuckles. That's true. The loudest, two loudest things I've ever been to, shockingly, was one, the Breeders' Cup. Oh, yeah. When Zenyatta came from last to first, the I mean, the it shook. The, the place shook for three minutes. It was the loudest. The loudest. A close second. Was it... Was it Marquez that knocked out Pacquiao? Yes. And put him in the ambulance? Yes. 
And I happened to be, for that fight, I had been doing some fights for top rank and actually ended up sitting, I was in Marquez's corner, sitting in the seat in the front row. And when that punch landed, I'm telling you, the roof almost came off the place. It's amazing how the buzz, the, the boxing, when it's right. Yeah. When when it's when it's a special thing, the the noise and the atmosphere in a building. You know, and I say this all the time. I think I even alluded to it yesterday. You know, for me, and you can relate to this because you just touched on it. To me, there is nothing more exciting when you have the anticipation. It doesn't matter which weight it is, but a world championship fight inside a packed arena with that ring walk, and that is electricity at its finest because you have the anticipation and you've got the crowd on their feet, especially if you've got like, uh, you know, the crowd behind one certain guy. And to me, that is bigger than any other beginning of any other sporting event that I can, that I've either been to or that I can think of, but that, you know, the, the ring walk and before or after the referee gives those final instructions, they go back to their corner and touch them up. That that's electricity. And lessons learned. I learned the hard way. Don't wear a white tuxedo <laughs> and sit in the front row. Uh, we were doing a, a TV special. It was Livingstone, Bramble, and Boom Boom Mancini. Yes. And I returned the white tuxedo uh, to the tuxedo rental joint going, do you think those bloodstains will come out? <laughs> It was unbelievable. Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back because I mean you've been here a, a long time, but my first stint when I when I came back here where I was here, uh, in this covering box, it was 1992, and our, our good friend who you know Lee Samuels from Top Rank Box Boxing. Mm-hmm. So Lee was a was a listener, and he says, "Hey, I want to invite you to the fights." And I just got to Vegas, and I said, "Okay." And they were having the fights at the Hacienda. Mm-hmm. It was one of those, you know, you know, local smaller thing. Yeah, yeah ex- exactly. And he put me right where you just said in in the front row, basically next to the timekeeper. You cannot describe, yeah. honestly. You and cannot, I got blood all over me. You cannot describe to people that have gone to fights for years, yeah. and they sit in the stands. Or, yeah, the sound. It's it, it's. It's like a baseball bat hitting a slab of beef. <laughs> no, the sound is unbelievable. It's true. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Well, we're going to have some noise tonight at T-Mobile Arena, as you know, with the Vegas Golden Knights uh, facing it off for the first time here tonight in the regular season against the Seattle Kraken. I don't. It's it's here, Brian, already, and I know that you basically cover it and you talk about it daily, twenty four seven, three hundred sixty five. I don't know. I don't know how you do it. It's like, thank God, players on frozen water. Right. How this guy talks about hockey in the middle of June, July, and August is beyond me. I but, should. You should. But, but he does it. We should. I mean, you know, take a break or something. Right. But we don't. Yeah. And, and but the funny thing is, there is a ton of stuff. And in the NHL, the turnover in rosters, and you know, it's I was I'm actually pleasantly surprised. Going, this is going to be torture, and it's not. Right. We, we get through it, but now, now it's heaven on earth because there there's honest to god games and numbers and players to evaluate. So tonight will be fun, interesting. Seattle comes in five guys on COVID for them, so I still think they they show up, and those are like three of three or four of them are their quote-unquote, better players. But they're very much like Vegas was in that 
all these guys are, for the most part, journeymen. Right. You know, and some of them will take the next step. Some will flail away. Some will get moved for assets at the deadline. I think I think it'll be a really fun atmosphere tonight. I, I think the, the buzz, generally speaking, Seattle is going to be, I would think, a dull team to watch. But interesting. I mean, it doesn't mean – I think that they're very good on the blue line, good goaltender, and they're going to play a dump-and-chase game, keep it low-scoring, hang around. That's going to be their mantra, I believe. I just think the buzz in the building on opening night, and you're not up to speed yet, and it's not physical. I think it'll be a lot of open ice. I, I you know, Everybody's thinking it's going to be low-scoring. There's pressure on Leonard. Let's cut to the chase. I mean – I think he, I think he's going to be fine, but there are going to be butterflies for all of them, and I think maybe Seattle could get sucked into playing Vegas's game a little bit. I think it'd be fun. I think it'd be a fun game. And the bar has been set high by the Golden Knights for an expansion team. Mm-hmm. So there, I'm not saying there are expectations with, with the Kraken. That ship has sailed, bud. But right, right. <laughs> I, I mean, they're a hockey team. This is no longer you know a, a Disney movie, mm-hmm. and. You're graded on at the end of the year. Did you win the whole thing? I mean, that's where they are. And you know, be entertained, have fun during the regular season, get in and have your shot to make a run. And usually they're always in on the big fish. Now you got Alex Tuck not there at the beginning. Sometimes they can't help themselves, but they could also look at it. Here we go. We're in the Pacific Division. We're going to rack up points. And they could almost view Alex Tuck as their trade deadline acquisition. The question is, I always get this question. I'm sure you do too. Is are they better with the moves they made? And I go, I don't know. They're different, but are they better? I don't know. The the one, you know, the goalie thing is going to be fun to watch. I think Brassois is going to be fine. I think, I really do. I think Leonard will lug the mail perfectly fine. It still comes down to this team has a penchant for the offense drying up as a collective. For stretches of time, and you do that after April, you're golfing, mm-hmm. right? So going back to the Seattle situation, we go back, we flash back, you know, four plus years. We go back to 2017 here. You know, the Golden Knights had Mark Andre Fleury, so you knew that that was a household name, that was a commodity, and many people thought he was going to be the face of the franchise for a long time. We'll, you could we'll, say we'll, you. Could, I'm just. I will yeah. say one thing: Francis did do. They've got Grubauer. Okay, so and Grubauer was a Vesna final right, so he I'm, got a goalie. So that's where I'm going. That's where I'm going. So with Seattle as they constructed this team, and I guess I was going to say also, we really had no idea what the Golden Knights were oh. going to look like with those misfits on ice. Oh. And again, it was the honeymoon period and all that, and people were just glad to be in a building. And next thing you know, they they enjoyed themselves. They started winning, and next thing you know, here comes chemistry, and the rest is history. Does does Seattle have the parts to maybe make that surprise? Because I see some uh, prognosticators that are picking them in the top half of the Pacific Division could maybe finish as high as third. I don't see it. And the one thing, and I'm staring at them on cap friendly here, Vegas the first year, nobody talked about this in the first year. When they put the group together, we're sitting there going, okay, I mean, a bunch of names, a bunch of hockey guys. 
And the master plan was get to the trade deadline, move Neil, move Perron, move move the UFA guys, get assets, accrue assets, and you're really building towards the future and get the pieces of the puzzle you want. You know, that turned into a gong show. After 10 games, it completely changed, going, my God, this is ridiculous. And the beauty of what, to get back to your question, the beauty of what Vegas did, and to this day, no one's ever asked the question, and I remember saying it the first year, and no one had been talking about it. And if they did indeed do this, they were Einstein, McPhee, and McCrimmon. If it was by design, but it happened to be 14 of those guys in the first year were either restricted free agents or UFAs. They were mercenaries. 14 of those guys were in a contract year. They were playing for dough. Now, I'm looking at Seattle. On the Up front, they've got six RFAs, and on the blue line, Mark Giordano's 38 years old. He's a UFA. And they named him the first captain, which honestly, he's a really you know great guy, incredible player. They did it. I personally wouldn't have given him the C. I mean, no knock on him. He's a leader. But a, ca- a captaincy is not something to cavalierly throw around. It's a guy who should be the face of the franchise. Right. Vegas waited, maybe waited too long. But but Stone, look how Stone responded to being the captain. Giordano is going to be that guy anyway. And I just I don't think you cavalierly throw the C around. But I, I look at them and I think they're going to be more than serviceable. I think the strength is the blue line with Giordano, Adam Larson, Dunn. Uh, I think Borgen is going to be a pleasant surprise for them. So I, th- I think their defense is good and their goaltending should be good. So they'll be in a lot of games. But big picture, TC, I don't, I don't see it. Yeah. I think this is, put it this way, the way the league sets it up, you're you're not going to be like the New York Titans. You know, you're not going to be this disastrous right. Yeah, train wreck. Yeah, yeah. they're, they're going to be competitive. You're be a ten or fifteen win season. Uh, yeah, team. Yeah. It's not an eighty. Yeah, it's right. not an eighty five point team. Right. I don't see that. Right. I think there's a. I think people are almost giving them the benefit of the doubt because what Vegas did and Vegas was Haley's comet. I, I think it's an overreaction. Right. All right. So back to the Golden Knights. What kind of VGK team do you think we are going to see this year? Now, obviously, it starts. With Flurry being gone, Leonard stepping in, and you know that's another question, another topic by itself. I mean, wow, this guy is stepping in, and I don't see Robin Leonard being a crowd favorite, especially considering you know coming in replacing Fury uh, Flurry, and then the way he's gone about it, and then some of the off the ice stuff that that he's been dealing with, and, and fans don't seem to be you know. Wanting to hug this guy, that, so that hit, hit both be, of those things. Th- that I think you nailed it is going to be one of the most interesting aspects of watching these guys. They're in the Pacific Division. Right. I mean, it's the weak division. They're gonna, you know, and nothing's changed from last year with that, right? No, yeah. they're gonna watch out for Vancouver. I'll say that, but they're gonna rack up points and everything. You know, everything's gonna be perfectly fine. But how do and I, I don't know. And how will he react? But how will the fans treat Leonard? If he lets in a couple of goals, 
is is there like a short leash for this guy and is he being held to it's never easy being the guy that follows the guy in right. any walk of life any walk you know, of life I mean, any sport i mean yeah. look at your show i don't know how the hell you do it every day following me <laughs> exactly <No. laughs> smoke and mirrors man <laughs> no you know what i mean i mean and i but i'm just wondering if he has an off night or two are the fans do they hold him to an unfair standard or do they wrap their arms around him? I don't know. Yeah, yeah that is the. But he the almost big... has this me against the world. Right, which doesn't play well with fans. But it kind of motivates him. Yeah. Yeah. I think. Yeah, I guess, you know. And again, it's not like, okay, you have this one in one A situation that you've had for the past couple seasons where if one of those guys get injured, you you know, and or, or uh, a guy has a bad first second period or a bad couple games in a row where you can go to that. Now, you're going to relative unknowns behind even though well, they those guys will be you know, are probably okay, but they're not what fans are used to. That's true. But the funny thing is, and I, I to this day do it whenever we bring up that first year, and I always make a point. He says two words, don't ever forget these two words. Max Lagasse. Yeah. Okay. All right. Florietta concussion. Yeah. And that season could have gone right off a cliff, and this unknown guy shows up in 14 games and played 500 hockey and held down the fort because Subban got hurt, Dance got hurt, Max Lagasse plays 14 games, keeps them breathing, Flurry comes back. So it can be done. I mean, Bennington comes out of nowhere and wins a cup for the Blues. Brassois is fine. He's a, he's a very serviceable, quality NHL goaltender. Big picture, it's what does Leonard do? Does he take the mail? Does he lug the mail? All right. What happens tonight? I'm going against the grain. I think a lot, I, I do believe Seattle is a dump and chase team, wants to play low scoring games. You've been down there. There's something about an opening night buzz where, I mean, you could see three, and, and Vegas has not been lighting the lamp with any kind of consistency in the preseason. I just think it's one of these things where. Everybody's going 100 miles an hour. Plus, they don't know each other. They don't hate each other. I don't think it's a physical game. I think there'll be a lot of open ice. Uh, I liked uh, over one and a half in the first period at a plus price. The total's five and a half. And I got a funny feeling it's uh, it could be on the higher scoring side, which is saying something because you got Leonard and Grubauer. I mean, you have two terrific goaltenders, but I, I think they got to get up to speed. I just think the buzz in the building, I think Vegas – kind of attacks and Seattle gets sucked into it. Seattle gets some chances in transition and Seattle's power play was actually pretty good in the preseason. So I'm, I'm going against the green thing. It's a little bit higher scoring. I mean, you got to, you would have to go with Vegas. I'm not saying anything. Would it shock me if, you know, it, I think it's correlated. Put it this way. Mm-hmm. Seattle wins. I think Seattle wins like a two, one game. But I think I think we see goals surprisingly tonight. Right. And the Gold Knights, it's no surprise, uh, an inflated line again, especially with an expansion Insane. team minus two sixty. But we're, we we see these type of lines with anyone in the Pacific Division. We saw it last well, year, and uh, but with the Kraken, a, a lot of people are going to think, oh, expansion team, it's easy, lay the goal and the puck and a half, uh, go ahead, go ahead and lay it. Yeah, right? well, 
The one thing I'll say, I mean, I've said it since the day I moved here in 2005, hockey is the best sport to bet. And the odds makers do incredible work on all kinds of stuff. And I don't know if it's, it's market numbers or whatever, but I, the percentage of the money that's wagered on hockey is not that big. Right. So I'm not saying they ignore it. But, like, Colorado is playing Chicago tomorrow. Now, before the McKinnon has COVID, going to miss the game tomorrow, and he's about a 30-cent player. Colorado's minus 240. Chicago had the best offseason of anybody in the NHL. They get Seth Jones, Flurry lands in their lap, and there's a chance Taves ends up coming back. And I love Colorado, but they made Colorado minus 240. Like, that number is stupid. Basically, that's... Well, Colorado won the President's Trophy last year, and in, in right. Chicago was this. I'm like, that's a last year number. Yeah, that's the beauty of betting hockey that, that you true. find real chinks in the numbers. Well, you find the the chinks because it it kind of does get buried with all these other sports, and you don't have the most knowledgeable people making the line. And I noticed that firsthand with the WNBA. A lot of people just disregard the WNBA, and there are some some really mismanaged lines there. Uh, Because the the limits are lower right, and and not a boatload of those being bet on it. Exactly. That doesn't mean the individual can't be very successful at it. And when you're talking about hockey being one of the best sports to bet, I take it and use that that example with the Blackhawks in in Colorado. It's a bad number. So my point is, is that, it's great value when you're betting the underdog. And is that why you're saying that hockey yeah, is I'm, the best? Because you can really get some great live dogs it's a at bad, good prices. Yes, it's a bad number. I'm not I'm not betting it. But it's a bad number. Yeah. It's just it's way, saying, yeah. it's way too high. So I want to see very quickly the number is going to change. The one team I'll tell you I am taking a shot with, because I believe Vancouver is going to be, they get a complete pass for last year. A complete and utter pass. They had a massive COVID outbreak. They were in the Canadian division. And they... Every other team in the league had a one-hour hop here and there to play their games. They had to fly cross-country all year long up in Canada. They got the absolute worst of it like no other team did in the league. And now they get Oliver ekman Larson from uh, Arizona along with Garland. Great young players, and they get Yaroslav Halak. They got two one number ones, Demko and Halak as goalies. Watch out. Everybody thinks it's Vegas and Edmonton. I'm telling you, Vancouver is the danger, the threat to Vegas. All right. What's the price there on Vancouver for if you want a future in Over Vancouver? Over 90 and a half points. Yeah. Is the, that's, that's the play, okay. I think. Right. All right, final thing before uh, I'll let you go and we get ready for tonight. Remember, T-Mobile Arena, it is the Golden Knights taking on the Kraken. Uh, a little bit after 7 o'clock is face-off tonight. Had you ever heard of a Kraken before? Never, never. No, and, I'm serious. Yeah, you had. Yeah. Justin, the producer, well, yeah, had. Yeah, of course, yes. Yeah, yeah. But again, Was that like a comic book thing or something? Yeah. I, 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 yeah. I'm like, what is it? I, never, I understand it. Yeah, it's it's some sub-creature from some ultra-terrain cartoon it's land. An, I have no idea. It's an octopus with power. Yeah, so, something like that. But, <laughs> oh, t- my you apologies. Got hot, you got the hotline going No. Ten, Somebody from the Kraken calling? Ten demerits. Yeah, ten. <laughs> ten demerits. The radio guy had the ring around. You know what? I, I apologize. Yeah. I've trained myself now. I can't tell you how many important phone calls I miss as soon as I get off the air because you have the phone off. Right. So now I'm like, when the, I play the last commercial, I put the phone put on. on so you, yeah. I apologize. Uh, don't worry about it. Anyway, where was I going with this? I was going to. Oh, anyway, uh, back to um, fans' expectations. Okay. Now, as we know, the last two seasons have ended prematurely for a lot of Vegas Golden Knights fans. Thought they would go a lot further than they did. And now you. You get the situation where Flurry's gone, 
Leonard's in, you got a majority of your team coming back, and I know that we talked at the end of last season, say, hey, they're going to be fine, that's fine. But the fans got spoiled, like we talked about it, from the opening season. And the last two seasons, they expected them to go further. What are the fans' expectations for this team, and and what do you think this buzz is as we head into the opener tonight? Long pause. There. That's a that's, that, that is not no, dead air. That's a great question. In that, I think there's these guys are very, 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 very good. I think there's an overinflated opinion of them. Are they in the discussion? The answer is yes to to win the cup. They're almost treated like, you know, like they've already won it. And they've been there. TC, don't forget, I I say this every year, the first round in the playoffs is the hardest one to win. Everybody's healthy and fresh. What would this summer and what would those questions have been this morning if Minnesota would have won game seven? Vegas was life and death to get by yeah. Minnesota. Yes, they were. And they blew it against Montreal. Yes. I think they had a horrible game plan. Fleury made the big mistake. Leonard stole a game in Montreal. Then they came home and they went back to Fleury. It's like Leonard was in their head, come back with Leonard. But the margin for error to win the whole thing is so thin. You know, they're going to be, they're in the Pacific Division. They're very good. They're going to be very good again. And we'll see if they do anything at the deadline. But it's so early, and right. it's an 82-game thing. And honestly, like anybody, who do you bet to win a Stanley Cup? You're out of your mind <laughs> if you bet anything before the trade deadline. Right. I want to know how. what is the team you're actually going to the postseason with. They're going to be great. I mean, they're going to rack up. They're going to be in the mid – I mean – unless there should be an investigation. I mean, in the Pacific Division, they should be in the high 90s again. They should win the division. Real quick, concerned about the offense? Because that that has been the deal. Yes, Uh, and it's no knock on any of these guys. The power play was a travesty at the end of last year. Power plays, that happens. It was awful. Mm -hmm. But power plays are very streaky by nature. But the one thing is, for whatever reason, their top six tends to you know, go out in the desert together at the same time. And it will happen at some point during the season. Max Pacioretty is like the guy that puts the puck on the net. To me, I, he's not like a, this. I don't think of him as this sniper. He He's a terrific. I mean, he would be what an incredible second line player he would be. I mean, he, the kind of guy would put you over the top. They're counting on Max Pacioretty to put the puck in the net. He did last year. You know, and a lot of that stuff was in overtime. I, I'm not holding them to any like unfair standard. I just the offense scares me. I mean, William Carlson, 43 goals the first year. We all knew he's not a 43 right. goal scorer. That's why the first right. year was such an anomaly. Right. All right. Uh, I can't wait. It's going to be fun. All right. Look forward to seeing you tonight, my friend. It's good to right. see you. How's yeah. hey? God bless. We love ballpark. Yes. Just got the news right before we went on the air today. Breaking news. Ballpark Frank's going home today. He's home? He's going home today. All right. Right now, he's packing up his stuff. Is he really? He's packing up his Coca-Colas and the Gatorades and his Cheez-Its that people have been bringing him. I've I've talked to him many times on the phone. I've not gone down there. And I will just say, as much as I love Ballpark Frank, when he had his car accident, I went to the hospital to see him in the hospital when he had the car accident. And I saw Frank wearing the 
<laughs> the gown, oh, yeah, the gown the, with uh, no back? Yes. I'm not visiting Ballpark Frank this time. I, I did it yesterday. <laughs> Luckily, he was he was he was sitting in a chair and he didn't get up. Oh my while God. I was visiting. Yeah, well. I, I, same thing. And I said that to him weeks ago. I said, you know, you're going for your walks and this and that. And I said, I don't need to see yeah. you while you're walking. Yeah. I don't need that vision. Yeah, I I did. I mean, uh, you know, I went and had. Well, I had three LASIK surgeries after that. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of which, so before I left yesterday to go see him, right? I, I think that's why he's getting out of the hospital because of my uh, my energetic visit with him yesterday. It's the only thing I can. You're the healer, the faith I, healer. I, 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 yeah, maybe. And, and, and some great wrestling talk that we had yesterday with one of his uh, nurses who was a big wrestling guy, and, and it turned into wrestling talk, and uh, everyone was uh, you know invig- invigorated. But anyway, before I, I left, he says, "Well, he goes." Why don't you open that bathroom door there and go take a peek in the shower? And I'm going, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I, why are we going here with this? He goes, so you can see how much hair that I've lost for my chemotherapy. He goes, it looks like a small animal in there. I go, I'll pass. He goes, no, take a look at it. I said, no, I'll pass. I'll see you when you get back home. Hasta la vista. I well, wasn't going to go look at that. Yeah, but what he wasn't telling you, it was the hair off his back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love you, Frank. Be be it be it may or not, I'm not looking at it, it, any 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 hair. I don't want to see it. Uh, that's great news. I'm glad to yeah, hear that. Yeah. So I uh, just got the the word uh, right before we came on the air today. So there you go. So ballpark, Frank, going home, which means hopefully he'll be back in that seat here very very soon. Hopefully. Cool, man. We love you, bud. All right. Take care, Brian. We'll see. you All right, tonight. TC. Great good to stuff, see you, buddy. Man. All right, pal. Brian Blessing. He's here, of course, every day between twelve and two. Precedes us. Vegas Hockey Hotline, Sportsbook Radio, great stuff. Uh, keep listening to him. All right, when we come back, Major League Baseball will get you an update on Astros and White Sox. Steve Sachs joins us next. There's more in store around your door and more of what you're looking for with the Dr. T.C. Martin. Major League Baseball playoffs. You got to love this time of year. I mean, just fantastic time of year. I mean, we are, you know, completed five weeks of NFL action, six weeks of college football. We can start now talking about college football playoffs. Still a little premature, but, you know, almost half of the college football season's over. You've got basically a third, uh, well, fourth of the NFL season over. But then Major League Baseball right now is fantastic because we're smack dab in the middle of the division series, and uh, we'll get you caught up to date on what's happening right now. We are in the top of the eighth, game number four between the Astros and the White Sox, and it has been Houston all day today. And they lead the White Sox 6-1 to in the top of the eighth inning. The Astros have banged out 10 hits, and uh, like I said, they got uh, two runs in the third, Three runs in the fourth, tacked another one on in the sixth, 6-1. Six, so the Houston Astros are now six outs away from advancing to the American League Championship Series, which is really good news for me because I will be there. All right. So uh, with Boston defeating the uh, Tampa Bay Rays yesterday, uh, now we'll give the Astros the home field advantage in the ALCS, meaning the Astros will be hosting games 1, 2, and then 6 and 7 if necessary. So um, if that is the case, um, I will be missing Friday's show at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. (laughs) 
But that's okay. We'll we'll line it up with uh, C win. You know, I I'm signaling to the right hander, and who knows? Maybe even Ballpark Frank might be available, right, to come in. So we'll see uh, about that as well, too. So uh, at any rate, uh, yes, of course, our Friday home, the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. Uh, come on out and enjoy the show, whether I'm there or not. But uh, do not want to get ahead of myself here. But uh, again, even if the White Sox come back and win this game, then a game five would take place tomorrow in Houston. And then the winner would face the Boston Red Sox. All right, speaking of the Boston Red Sox, this is a team that got beat in game number one against the Tampa Bay Rays. And a lot of people, didn't, including myself, didn't give the wild card Red Sox much of a shot at all. But, man, did they turn things around starting in game two when they pounced on the Rays for 20 hits. Uh, insane. With a barrage of home runs. And so they tied the... The series up one game apiece. They got to have games three and four at Fenway Park. And, man, Fenway Park was rocking in those games. And uh, the Red Sox got the job done in game three. They had the clincher last night. And uh, even though the Red Sox jumped out to a 5 nothing lead, looked like this thing was going to be over, here come the race. And they fought back. They battled back to tie this thing up at five apiece. And then the Red Sox won it later on. And uh, Champagne in the clubhouse at Fenway Park. And yes, to a surprise to many that the Boston Red Sox are on their way to the American League Championship Series in a very streaky season. And when you look at the AL East, much like the National League East as well too, we, we looked at both of the Easts and we said, yeah, I mean, especially in the National League, where you had the Braves, you had the Phillies, and then you had the Mets. And the Mets fell off like they normally do. The Phillies just really never took hold of that division, despite having Bryce Harper, Joe Girardi signing you know, uh, you know, two years ago. And it was Atlanta's division basically to win from the beginning. But Atlanta really didn't do anything uh, that blew you away uh, in that. But now they look like they're on the verge of disposing of the Milwaukee Brewers. But over... With the Red Sox in the AL East. You had the Red Sox, you had the Yankees, you had the Rays, and you had the Blue Jays. And for the most part of the season, it was all about the Rays. And then the Yankees, Red Sox, and Blue Jays were battling for the wild card. And deservedly so. If those teams were in any other division, you might make a case that they could be a division winner. Uh, you know, maybe especially in the in the central. But uh and no one expected. I didn't expect the Red Sox to do what they did to Tampa, but they are in the ALCS as we speak. All right. And if Houston can hang on, there it is. Game one will be Friday in Houston. Looking forward to being there for that. All right. Let's go talk to our guy. The two-time World Series champ knows a thing or two about the postseason play, the five-time All-Star. And, of course, Sachs in the morning, his fantastic worldwide podcast. Steve Sachs, what's going on, my friend? How are you, TC? I'm good, man. What's happening? I'm just uh, just getting ready for this big uh, uh, Dodger game tonight coming up. Um, great game yesterday. Well pitched contest. Uh, just uh, no offense, really, or no uh, no luck, I should say. The Dodgers pounded the baseball several times, only to be caught by the defense. 
and some games go that way. Yeah, and I, and I do want to touch on you in that, but uh, just as I was talking about the uh, situation with the Red Sox uh, beating the Rays and the Astros on the verge of beating the White Sox, uh, give me some thoughts. Uh, I really did not see uh, the Red Sox getting to this point, and I know we've talked about this division in, in length in the past. Uh, give me your thoughts on what you saw from the Red Sox and coming back and winning three in a row from the Rays. Well, that was the last uh, team I thought out of that pack that you had mentioned, including Toronto, that would be uh, the one that would be able to, you know, uh, rise up and win that thing. But it looks like they're going to, uh, you know, it looks like they've got a, a good opportunity now to uh, to take this thing on to the next step. And and uh, who knows? I mean, they pound the baseball. They hit a lot of balls deep. Um, it's not about pitching for the Red Sox. They'd be glad to win games 11-9. to 9, But they are pitching better. Than, uh, than I thought they would. And so they're hot at the right time, and that's what happens when you get into postseason. You get hot at the right time, you can win it. You know, Chris Sale's making a lot of money, and I know that a lot of people still think that Chris Sale is the old Chris Sale of old that we used to see with the White Sox. Uh, what, what What is the deal with, with Sale, and what do you think his role is in the postseason here, or coming up in the ALCS? Well, they're going to they're gonna count on to, uh, to be a, a driving force as far as you know, one of those. Uh, I think they're going to be the top starter. I mean, you know, he's uh, he's a guy that's come back really quickly from Tommy John surgery. Usually, Tommy John, uh, you know, people that have gone through that take pretty much the year they come back to kind of get ramped up, get their feet underneath them again, and then the following year is when they they really start to pay dividends for them. But Chris Sale, as soon as he came back, was on it. I mean, he was he was up and ready, and uh, he lived up to the task getting through Tommy John surgery. And then come up and be in, uh, an, an immediate impact pitcher right out of the gate. Mm-hmm. All right, talk about Giants Dodgers. Uh, a, a, a game last night that we saw Evan Longoria's homer was it. Max Scherzer, pretty good performance uh, again from Scherzer. Ends up on the on the losing end of this one. Uh, could be Scherzer's yeah. last time that we see him in this postseason, which is crazy to think of, Steve. Because remember when they went and got him and Trey Turner from Washington, people were just saying, "Hey, this is the stamp of approval." Uh, you know, Scherzer's going to be the reason why this team goes all the way to the World Series and, and could be the favorite to win the World Series. And now the Dodgers, one game away from being eliminated. Yeah, and it wasn't because of Max Scherzer, that's for sure. Yep. He, um, you know, he he pitched really well last night. It took maybe a couple innings for him to uh, to get his feet uh, set, but he did, and he was uh, he was outstanding yesterday. I mean, he, uh, he gave up what three hits, I think, and the whole time he was out there. And one of those was the home run by by Longoria. Uh, Dodgers could have on a regular night uh, without the win, Howland, and I know it's the same for both teams. But Dodgers could have scored five, six runs if they if they hadn't had uh, you know the ball knocked down uh, by the wind. But uh, you know, hey, you can't make excuses. It sounds bad, and I'm not. I'm just stating it like it is. Some days um, the luck's with you, and some days it's not. If the Dodgers come out and hit the ball, uh, you know, like they did last night tonight, they'll probably win that game. Mm-hmm. So you, tonight they'll send Walker Bueller to the mound. His last two outings against the Giants, he has not fared well at all. I mean, I believe he's given up nine runs in the last two outings. Then you got to go back to early on the season where he was pretty dominant against the Giants. Is it a matchup thing, or are we seeing something with Bueller here that uh, is a little bit off? Well, no, I don't think so. The Giants gave everybody fits. They, they won more games than anybody during the season, um, and. You know, it's hard to explain because the, the, the team, when you look at the personnel, 
is a good team, but it, uh, you, you wonder how they got through the season with that many victories. Um, we'll see what happens tonight. Walker Buehler probably aiming to go about three innings, I would say, and then hand it over to the bullpen. Um, he is on short rest, and he's on three days rest. So this is a bullpen game for him, so I look for him to go. If they can get three solid innings out of him, I think they'll take it. Do you hear what we're talking about, Steve? We're talking about one of the one of the best pitchers in baseball, a starting pitcher that, oh, well, they're looking to get three innings out of him. This sounds insane yeah. here. And I know, again, yeah. we, we talk about this stuff. It's just it's uh, it's insane, the, the Kevin Cash theory or the Joe Madden theory or whatever you want to call it. I, I, don't, I don't like this theory, Steve. Let's get rid of it. I, you know what? I can't stand it either, but that's <laughs> the world we live in. And, you know, everything's on a pitch count. Um, and, you know, in the old days, uh, he'd look to go the whole nine. So what if he only has three days rest? But, you know, that's the way it is today. This is a different type of an atmosphere that we're playing in. Um, and, you know, you do have some uh, some really good pitchers in that bullpen. Um, you know, bullpens today are very, very important. Each guy uh, has a role, and it's not like it was, you know, even before I played. Before I played, the bullpen guys were just somebody to mop up. Right. Nowadays, the bullpens are real weapons today. And, uh, you know, you might as well utilize them because they're there. What is it with the Giants? You mentioned this team, 106 wins, most wins in baseball. They keep getting the job done and, and really not with an all-star cast. I mean, Evan Longoria is, is the hero again. This guy often injured the past couple seasons. Really, not even – he's kind of an afterthought. I mean, this guy wasn't even a yeah. starter for, for a good portion of, of the last couple seasons. Mm-hmm. What, what is it about this Giants team that makes them look so good, at least in the win-loss column? Well, I'll tell you what, uh, TC, it's like you're playing a ghost. And I've said that a few times on different uh, networks. I've said it on the MLB network. Uh, you can't figure it out. I mean, everybody on their team, while they're you know good players, some guys are, you think, past their prime, uh, here's – Brandon Crawford getting a few two-year deal because of the way he played today. Um, you know, but they're all having career years. Buster Posey's doing the bat better than I've ever seen him. They've got young guys on the team that are just trying up, uh, coming up trying to make a, uh, a place for themselves, like Steven Duggar and uh, Donovan Solano, and they're all killing it. I mean, it's just like you can't explain it. Um, I've said, too, that this is the same uh, team where they could go out next year and finish fourth in the division. It's not a knock on the Giants, but Man, if you look at it and, and, and you know, being practical about it, uh, you know, they got guys uh, that that are just playing at the top of their games. Every one of them are doing that, and that, that just never happens. If there's a weakness with this Giants team, what is it? Uh, you know, maybe uh, maybe if you want to talk about team speed, you know, it isn't it isn't a team that can rip up the base pass. They're not. The Giants aren't a very athletic team. They're not real athletic. Um, but they still have really good players. Like if you uh, if you match in the athleticism up between them and the Dodgers, it's not even close. I mean, the Dodgers are much better athletically than the Giants. But you know, you got guys like Brandon Crawford that have a you know a leaping ability of about uh, two credit cards, and yet um, <laughs> he gets up uh, yesterday and gets up there and robs a hit from Mookie Betts that would have changed the game. Um, you got guys running down balls in the outfield that don't have tremendous closing speed. Um, and you know, they, they, it's just, uh, I think that's one place you can say, but you know, they still win games. 
you know, you mentioned the win last night at Dodger Stadium, which seemed very weird to see, you know, Shearzer's pants blowing. And then, like you said, yeah. uh, the ball getting uh, hung up there in the outfield. And we're used to seeing that at night games at Dodger Stadium. But is there such a thing, Steve Sachs? We've heard of win aided home runs. How about win aided uh, uh, jumping ability by Brandon Crawford? You know, <laughs> only getting over the two credit cards. I mean, come on. I mean, how did he get that ball last yeah. night? It had to be win aided. Uh-huh. I- I don't know. I don't know how that happened. I mean, it's uh, it's about as uh, it's about as Im- improbable as, as the quake uh, going on a breakfast uh, binge and not getting any weight. I mean, you know, I, I just I just don't get it. You know. <laughs> and there it is, ladies and gentlemen. You know, you know, this... we, gotta, you know we got to mention the quake. You know, today. I was just gonna say, there it is. The streak is alive. We talk about the hitting streaks. They hear the Steve Sachs quake attack streak continues on the program. <laughs> Well done, my friend. Well placed. You know, that was like a senile single that you hit at the at the end of your bat that went about yeah. ninety seven feet down the right field line. And 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 your wheels got to second on him, my friend. Quake yeah. would never get out of well, the box. You know, it's it's always a lot funner when you can uh you you know, you can bring about the quake, you know what I mean? Uh, or should I say expand on the quake. You know? There it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, too funny. Great stuff, man. Yeah. The one and yeah. only Steve Sachs. Uh, hey, uh, go ahead. Did you download your Sachs in the morning yet? Uh, yeah, I downloaded uh, my Sachs in the morning. Yes, I, I, I rolled over this morning, but I haven't had a chance to uh, uh, to hit the button uh, to play it yet. So do tell okay. uh, tell us all what we've missed so far. Well, today, uh, today's, uh, we call, they're called shorts because they're motivational shorts. Right. And today is the one about making lists. And it's real, it's real uh, important to make lists uh, in your life when you're talking about yearly, quarterly, monthly, even down to the daily stuff. I do that all the time. It's, it's a good message today, so I think you're going to like it. All right. And uh, our next uh, long-form uh, programming uh, uh, interview? That will be, I think, uh, next Thursday, a week from uh, right. tomorrow. Uh, and that's going to be uh, the, the jo- Johan Jahali, who is the head guy for Sarsen Funds. Sarsen Funds is the leading cryptocurrency manager in the country and he's going to tell you about cryptocurrency and that's uh, an important thing there you go i thought you you were going to go with the, the head heads groundskeeper uh, you know somewhere maybe over at the dodger stadium or something we need a groundskeeper on there can we get that yeah. well remember the byline for the uh, for the podcast <laughs> is sport right money yeah and life and yeah so it covers all three of those and now if you want to you want to talk about groundskeepers i guess <laughs> We can do some groundskeepers, you know. Why don't Why don't we do this? Why don't Why don't we uh, Why don't we check the expression on the owner of a restaurant that is having an all you can eat buffet when the quake walks in the door? Let's... <laughs> <laughs> now, now that would encompass that would encompass everything you mentioned because money would be involved there, right? All right, <laughs> right. Success, <laughs> success is there yeah. on the quicksand. <laughs> Sports, money, and life. Yes, right. <laughs> Absolutely, and life. Or maybe if he eats too much of that buffet, it could be the end of life. Could we be. We might a- talk about. We might talk about caskets. You know. <laughs> Handle the truth. I do not think that this okay would be on would be on MLB Network Radio right now. That's it. Nothing for you. We're not going to do this on MLB Network. Radio. I'm get fired. And this is why he loves coming on with us all the time. There it is. It's awesome. Oh. <laughs>
I can't stop laughing. Sorry. I don't, I don't I'll think talk I, to you guys later. The, he's going to cut us off like that. Okay, Steve, whatever, whatever you're ready. Awesome, brother. Awesome. <laughs> See you guys later, man. Take, See you next week. Take care, brother. There he is, Steve Sachs. <laughs> and we'll send him out on that. You know, Dusty always says hitting is contagious, right? Laughing is contagious. No doubt about that. It's Steve Sachs coming strong with uh, the Quake, our oh, former good. producer. There it is. See, I don't know if I've ever – I created a monster there, you know, literally. I'm just wondering if I, if I should have ever introduced those guys. And the moment that I told Saxy that Quake, uh, it is a, uh, I don't want to say advanced weight or whatever, was, was wearing the old Steve Sachs jersey. What? You know? But remember, Quake, he went, I got a Mookie Betts jersey when the Dodgers got Betts. And so he was, he was living out that number 50 there. Looked a little bit better, 5-0, than the number 3. So, But uh, our good friend Steve Sachs has just, he latched onto the Quake. He was very sad that the Quake uh, had, had left us. So he's uh, got to continue to to keep the Quake's uh, memory alive. There it is. Numbchuck, are you jealous that, that, that Sax doesn't go at you like the Quake? <laughs> you're, you're lucky, man. You're lucky. There it is. And it only took him, I think, about three months before he actually realized that you weren't the Quake, you know, when you get him on the show. So good stuff. All right. Steve Sachs joining us. All right. Update in Chicago. The Astros. Now lead the White Sox 7-1. to one. And all of those fans over there at Comiskey Park wearing their black and the white and haven't shown up since 2005 since Ozzie Guillen was there, huh? Yeah. Yeah, my guy Jerry Manuel. There you go. Sacramento Sports Hall of Famer managing that team. How about that? But uh, I've never seen this stadium packed like that before. Oh, yeah, let's throw that in there, too, as we have a little Eric Clapton today you heard the comments by the white sock reliever all right it's hard to say day before yesterday after game three that oh i think the astros are stealing signs again that's what that's what he had to say yeah and uh why would you go there with that okay and if and of course we are talking about the white sox reliever who made those uh, those comments? Okay, Ryan Tapera tried to say the Astros are stealing signs uh, over at, uh, especially at Minute Maid Park. Well, Dusty Baker addressed that yesterday. Um. Well, um. Well, those are some heavy accusations, you know. Um, I mean, we're about the same runs, OPS, and everything as we are. Well, actually, better on the road than we are at home and uh so uh, then i i think they're actually better at home than they are you know on the road and so um i don't have much you know response to that other than i was listening to eric clapton this morning and uh and he had a song um you know before you accuse me you need to take a look at yourself you know what I mean? So that's all I got to say. <laughs> there it is, Dusty. A little Eric Clapton reference. Solid. I texted him after that. I said, beautiful Eric Clapton reference. I said, there you go. I said, bounce these fools out of here. And he goes, will do. And that's what they're doing right now. Seven to one. Eric Clapton taking us out for hour number one. 
Bob Arum, the Hall of Fame promoter. Again, a great night, Saturday night, T-Mobile Arena with Fury defeating Wilder. We'll talk to him about that. Also, Porter Crawford coming up. It is the T.C. Martin Show on a terrible Tuesday. Ladies and gentlemen. Ali, a sneaky right hand. Another sneaky right hand. This time he works over the shoulder of Foreman. Saturday night, T-Mobile Arena. It was electric, 16,000-plus in the house to see Tyson Fury take care of Deontay Wilder in the third go-around. And join us now, the man who is all behind it, the uh, Hall of Fame promoter, top-ranked boxing, Presidente, CEO, Chief of Staff, call him what you want, the GOAT, as I like to call him, Bob Arum. Bob, how you doing, buddy? Terrific, terrific. I'm relaxing. You know, I need a few days off after <laughs> after being involved in that event. Uh, but, uh, I mean, you know, I replay it over and over in my mind. And what a great fight that was. It really was. And, you know, at the press conference afterwards, you said, and I'm going to paraphrase here, uh, in your 57 years of boxing that you thought that that was – probably the greatest heavyweight fight uh, 
of all time, or of what you've uh, seen or yeah, been involved of, with. And, what I've seen. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. Mean, and, and, and that was a, a, a hard thing for me to say and realize. Right. <laughs> but because I had uh, always counted the third Ali Fraser fight, the thriller in Manila, as one of the greatest fights I've ever seen. It still is, but this fight really exceeded it because Fraser and Ali beat the hell out of each other. They were never the same afterwards, uh, but uh, nobody went down. Right. Neither guy could knock the other guy down. Here there were five knockdowns, and when you watch a heavyweight championship fight, uh, the knockdowns add so much drama and suspense uh, to a fight. You know, I said that exact same thing, Bob, because we had this discussion after you said that there at the press conference that night. And I said, well, wait a minute, because uh, they said the exact same thing. A couple of other media guys, I'm going, wait a minute. I go, how many knockdowns were in that fight? Well, I, I can't remember. I go, there were none. I go, there was five tonight. There were five knockdowns, and Fury went down twice in the fourth round himself, which right. was... It's one thing when, when one fighter uh, goes down say, five times or three mm-hmm. times like Fraser did with Foreman. But that turned out not to be a competitive fight. I mean, it was just Foreman beat Fraser down. Uh, Ali and Fraser was a back-and-forth fight, ebbs and flows, uh, but neither guy went down. Here was a back-and-forth fight, that, and they kept throwing bombs at each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one guy went down three times and the other twice. It was definitely one for the ages. The five knockdowns, the 11th round stoppage, uh, it, was, it, it, it was fantastic. And, and again, kind of going back to that thrill in Manila, like you, like you said, does it have, is there just an added ambience or different feel when you're in a place like T-Mobile Arena that's, that's just about you know, packed to the gills and you have that aura and that sense in comparison to maybe a, another fight in another country where neither fighter is from that country. And again, I wasn't there in Manila. You were, and you were in a big you know, outdoor stadium, right? So co- compare, no, does that fit? It was, it was indoors. That was indoors. You're right. You're right. right. It was a big stadium. It was barn-like. Uh, they've since, you know, after all these, spruced it up. Mm-hmm. So it's a much, much nicer arena. But it was dark and dingy. Right. No air conditioning. Uh, and, uh, uh, but the atmosphere was electric. Because even though, obviously, Ali Fraser didn't come from the Philippines, uh, the great Filipino people... Uh, got involved in that fight, and I don't think it mattered uh, that uh, uh, there were two foreigners fighting. Right. All right, Bob Arum joins us, and we're talking about recapping what happened Saturday night, fantastic fight with Tyson Fury defeating Deontay Wilder. Bob, when you were watching this fight unfold, you see Deontay Wilder come out in the first round, and one round one on all three judges' scorecards. I, I want to get your take as we kind of progress through the fight here, because I know that we had talked about, well, 
how much does Deontay Wilder really want this fight? And you said last week, oh, no, he definitely does. He's going to be ready. But there was a, I think there was a lot of people, even including myself, saying, you know, I think Fury is going to dominate this fight, especially the beatdown that Wilder took in, in the second fight. But Deontay showed he was game. There's no question. And then came round three when Fury put Wilder down, and you could see at that point in time, his legs were wobbled, and then he got a little fatigued after that. And then round four comes, and then Wilder gives it to Fury to, uh, you know, so much in that round that Fury goes down not once but but twice. What was your feeling at that point in time? Did you have this sense that, wait a minute, my, my guy's down here twice, and you know some, something could change here? I mean, we may be having to change into the guard again. Well, there's a difference. When Wilder, like most like almost every other fighter, particularly heavyweight. When he gets nailed and goes down, he gets up and he's wobbly and he's got to stall for time until his faculties get uh, back, until he gets control of himself. The difference between that normal behavior uh, and Tyson Fury is when Tyson Fury gets knocked down, when he gets up, it's like nothing happened. He's not wobbly. He's a, you know, he has a control of his faculties, uh, and he continues throwing like it didn't affect him. That you saw in the first fight right. uh, between them, when in the in the in the twelfth round where he gets nailed by a massive wilder shot and he goes down and he looks like he's dead. Like he'll never get up. And not only does he get up, but he's not wobbly, takes the fight to Wilder and is in control of the rest of the round. Now that's something that you can't explain. That's a God given uh reaction. Uh uh, that very few people uh, can muster because it's not a question of will or anything. It's just how his body works. You have represented so many great fighters um, and promoted so many in all different weight divisions. Have you seen a guy like Tyson Fury before in the sense where this guy was basically a had a lot of talent early on in his career, but then you can almost say the guy, you know, threw away his talent. And then he went to, you know, ballooned up to four hundred pounds and had the personal problems with the drug use, the alcohol, all that sort of thing, and then bounced back the way he did in that fight that you're talking about, the first Fury Wilder fight, where he went down, we thought like I said, thought he was dead, he wasn't getting up, and then he kind of reinvented himself. And then he dominates basically every fight thereafter. And this is, this is almost seems abnormal, Bob. Can you, can you compare him to anybody else that you've been involved with? Well, not really. But again, you've got to look at, yeah, when he had that mental depression, mental problems, he... Uh, Apparently, because I wasn't around him then, drank excessively and uh, was in despair. Uh, 
and he was able eventually to pull himself out, rehabilitate himself, and go back. But the one thing he always had going for him is he's a family man. So he's been married to the same woman for many years. They have six children together, and that provided a lot of grounding for him when he was going through that uh, period of his life where he was threatened with depression. So if he had suffered that depression, in my opinion, and he wasn't that kind of family man, and he was out in the streets with, you know, a lot of ladies, uh, I don't think he would have recovered the same way that he did, in fact, uh, and changed his life around. Let's go back to the early part of 2019. I believe that was the time frame when you signed him. Take us back through that conversation because he's coming off the Wilder fight and, again, still kind of unknown about this guy. What was the conversation like between you and him about, okay, what your plan was with him and what you were going to do, and were you concerned uh, about maybe him falling back into that life? I had never met him before. Uh, I came on board after the first fight. Uh, they felt they needed a prominent U.S. promoter, and I met him for the first time. I'll never forget, I was in England, and I went up to Manchester, and had dinner with him and his group. And the first thing he did is ask me a question. Why do you want to promote me? Why do you want to be involved with me? And I said, because there's something about you that reminds me of the greatest experience of my life was promoting Muhammad Ali. And I believe that you can be for me in my latter years what Ali was for me earlier when I started in boxing. I remember saying that to him, and I remember how it resonated with him. And we were close ever since. Right, but I hadn't. I, I mean, I you know, I I didn't know his background. I I you know, I knew something about gypsies, but I've learned a lot more since uh, and their culture and his culture. And I find him to be a fascinating person to talk to. He's extraordinarily bright, and he's very. Uh, intuitive, uh, and uh, uh, really, it's for me on a personal basis. It's been a pleasure uh, to be involved with him. Bob, what was his response to you that night when you said that to him? He, again, it's Tyson Fury. He doesn't let you know. They, they, he didn't say, hey, great, Bob. I didn't say anything. But I could see him absorbing 
what I said mm-hmm. and accepting it. But he but art, he wouldn't articulate it. No, as he would, you know, I just knew that it had resonated with him and it had an effect on him. Do you think at that point in time that he was still maybe a little bit leery of who he could probably trust in that situation? Of course. Look at at the different background, his and mine. (laughs) I mean, it's a joke. But again, it didn't faze me because look at the different backgrounds. Me and Muhammad Ali. Right. Right, and. Particularly when, you know, not particularly because that's how I knew him. He was a part of the nation of Islam at that point. But I, again, had no problem, fortunately, relating to him and him to me because Ali was that kind of person. Uh, But I see a lot of Ali uh, in Tyson Fury. One of the things that I always point out, or at least my opinion, Bob, is that when you signed Fury, you turned him into an American fighter, a style that that people have really clung to, and you made him a Las Vegas guy. And that has never happened, as far as my recollection, of watching British fighters. You know, Americans really never clung to a British fighter that wanted to call him their own. They said, ah, I don't like the guy's style. And, you know, you know, going back to Lennox Lewis or even Klitschko, great fighters. But the American public just never said, hey, like, he's one of ours. Every time there would be an American fighter fighting one of those guys, the American public would always, you know, be behind the American, whether they were, uh, you know, as good, better, or not as good. But Tyson Fury, when you signed him, and in you made sure that he had these fights leading up to the Wilder fight here in Vegas, he became loved, and he became this 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 guy that people wanted to root for. And I think it's because personality, but I also think it's because of his style, too. I mean, he has a style not really of a prodding heavyweight, you know, with his footwork, with his fundamentals, but his personality is engaging, love talking with him, love having him on, and I, I think that's really what resonates. Yeah, but you got to understand. Yeah, like when I... This reminds me... When I was a young man and first became associated with Muhammad Ali, I would do his fights, and they, he, had, he said this and he said that, and they were all so clever, and people, you know, really got a kick out of it, and they would come up to me after the fight and say, you're a genius. Uh, you uh, uh, came up with these ideas. And look how great they are. And I would look at them and then say, look, they weren't my ideas. They weren't my words. They were Muhammad's. Right. Same thing for Tyson Fury. You know, you can give me credit, but I turned him into this, turned him into that. But the truth is, Tyson Fury is a very intelligent, intuitive person. And... He Americanized himself, not me. He realized uh, that he was an entertainer, and Las Vegas was the is the capital 
of the, in the world of entertainment. And so he wrapped himself around that aura and became a Las Vegan and conducted himself like that. Uh, and that's what endeared himself to certainly people in Las Vegas and Americans. But, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that you give me credit for it, but the credit belongs belonged back then, 50-something years ago, to Muhammad and now to Tyson Fury. And I'm not being modest. It just happens to be the truth. No, and, and I know you well enough to where you know you you you're very modest. There's no question about that. And I guess I'll, I'll clarify with this: Tyson Fury has had the personality, and there's no doubt about that. But I'm going to give you credit, whether you want to take it or not, for the for the chance of of signing him and you know basically making sure that he fought here in Vegas and let him you know be the personality that he could be. And, and making these fights. And I think you gave him the opportunity. And if he doesn't sign with and, you, and, top and, right. and you know any English fighter who's ever fought over here who bought himself a home in Las Vegas? That's my point exactly. Exactly. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's a beautiful marriage. And we love watching this guy. Yeah. You know, Bob Aram uh, joins us, the Hall of Fame promoter. And again, talking about Tyson Fury's. Uh, Great victory over Deontay Wilder on Saturday night. All right, Bob, what's next uh, for Fury? Well, I what, what would I you like to see? Today. I, I well, I talked to him today, and he had just arrived in Manchester, and he was tired, and we talked uh, briefly, and uh, uh, we'll discuss the future uh, maybe a week or so from now. Because I've learned, one thing I've learned is after an event like that, you uh, don't bother the fighter with suggestions of what he should do next. All calm down, we'll talk about it, and then Tyson will come up with his idea of what he wants to do. And I have confidence that, like, every time he'll be spot on. No, and I agree with you, and I loved what you said at the press conference afterwards, too. It's like, hey, leave this guy alone. You know, he's, he's making his commitment here, and he's talking to the media, but let him go celebrate with his wife, his family, his team. Enjoy. Step away for a while. And, uh, and you're right, and this guy is, has deserved that. And he gave a great performance again. Uh, he delivered on a great promotion again. And uh, you're right. Just you know, no one's in in a, in a hurry right now because when the time is right, you guys will make the announcement, and he'll decide what he wants to do. And and I know that the uh, the world, not just the American public, looking forward to seeing Tyson Fury in the ring here again. And yeah. uh, and, and and hopefully, and I'm sure we'll have Vegas. him back. We'll back, have him back time and again in Las Vegas. He loved fighting here. Loves fighting here. Loves living here. Loves. Uh, you know, you, my gym was decorated from one end to the other with Tyson Fury pictures. And now, you know, we'll take them down and we'll put up Terrence Crawford <laughs> right. pictures all over the gym because we got a great fight coming on the 20th of November uh, at Mandalay Bay where Terrence Crawford defends his title against. 
the really tough, tough welterweight Sean Porter. You got it, and great transition. I was just going to go there with you with that as well, and you know, seeing you at the press conference there Saturday afternoon as well, and in sitting up there with Terrence Crawford and his trainer, and with Sean and, and his father, who is his trainer as well too. Uh, give me, give me your thoughts about that when you, because I know that was the first time you've basically been on a dais with Sean before, seeing Sean speak. Uh, passionately and articulately, and then you know, Bud is is a guy as you know who is kind of really down to earth, a little low key here. And, Sh- and it's not that Sean is a a trash talker here, but he's a very confident guy. Uh, tell me what you took out of that press conference because again, I thought it was uh, it, you know it was Sean at its finest, and I love the focus that Bud had, and I, I thought it was a it was a great classy press conference. Yeah, they're two classy guys. Uh, you know, I always have felt that Terrence Crawford is a throwback fighter, great, great boxer, good puncher, you know, great uh, strategist in the ring. Uh, he's all of that. And uh, one of the top fighters of our era. Uh, but he's facing in Sean Porter uh, a really tough welterweight uh, who will be in his uh, uh, chest uh, the entire fight, roughing him up uh, and trying to prevent him from getting off uh, his very, Crawford's very telling blows. It's a classic battle. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised, and I would love uh, by the end of the year, People uh, uh, debating uh, which is the fight of the year, uh, Fury against Wilder or Crawford against Porter. And I think that's exactly what we are going to be debating uh, come uh, December. Uh, Bob, thank you for promoting this upcoming fight with Crawford and Porter as well, too. I I know boxing fans uh, have been wanting to see this for a long time. I've been wanting to see it. So uh, thanks for stepping up and uh, doing that. It's uh, it, it's going to be great. It's going to be fantastic. I think we all know that. I think, yeah, yeah, I agree. All right. Uh, okay. Thanks again. I appreciate it. As always, Bob Aram joins us. Bob, before I let you go, uh, go back to that, that meeting you said with Tyson Fury back in uh, 2019. You remember what you had for dinner? Over there in Manchester with him? Do you remember what was on the table there? With some bangers yeah. or something or what? No, 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 no. This was a, uh, an upscale restaurant in <laughs> Manchester. But a big restaurant, I remember. And I think I had a veal chop. A veal chop. There you go. All right. The veal chop in Vegas or the veal chop in Manchester. There it is, right? right. <laughs> yeah. Thanks again, Bob. Appreciate you. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, TZ. Good talking to you. Thank there, you. There he is, Bob Aram, the Hall of Fame promoter. Love having him on. Love the relationship that we have and uh, being able to talk boxing with the greatest promoter of all time. Tyson Fury, fantastic. Always love talking to Tyson Fury. And Bob's right. You give the guy the space. He's earned it. And uh, what Tyson Fury do when he got done putting on the belt uh, around his waist? He wanted to sing. This is what he does. One thing to say.
Tyson Fury, a.k.a. the Gypsy King. And I'm here today ripping it up with T.C. Martin. Tyson Fury ripped it up all right. Saturday night. Appreciate Bob Aaron for joining us. Talking about Tyson Fury. Great stuff. And that will be up on the website a little bit later on today. TCMartinShow.com. Banging away again today. Steve Sachs, Bob Arum, Brian Blessing joined us as we talk about Vegas Golden Knights season opener tonight. And Sam the Man Gordon joined us as we talk about everything. And Sam's probably banging on some weights somewhere in a gym near you. What's going on, brother? Hey, hey, how you doing, my man? Good to talk to you again. We're doing great, man. We're doing great. Yeah, I wanted to pick up, you know, kind of where we left off the other day when we were we were talking, um, you know, regarding uh, the latest here with uh, John Gruden, the Raiders emails, because obviously Sam not only covers boxing and the Las Vegas Aces, but UNLV, but also uh, the Raiders as well too. And, uh, you know, after the show yesterday, Sam, we got more information, you know, regarding John Gruden, and we got the news that John Gruden and the Raiders parted ways. Now, that was the language that we initially got. Adam Schefter rep- uh, reported that during Monday Night Football last night in the game between uh, the Ravens and whoever they played last night. <laughs> I should remember who they played. The Colts, because I had the Colts last night. Thank you very much. Well, anyway, um, but the long trail of emails that that were included in this were uh, racist overtones, now anti-gay, misogynist re- remarks, uh, first declo- uh, disclosed by the New York Times, and uh, the short statement that came from John Gruden yesterday was, I love the Raiders, they do not want to be a distraction uh, thank you to all the players, coaches, staff, and fans of Raider Nation. I'm sorry I never meant to hurt anyone. It was short. It was sweet. It was, I guess, to to the point. But now more and more stuff has come out. Uh, and just to kind of recap the story again, uh, back in 2011, Gruden, who was with ESPN, part of the Monday Night Football crew, uh, emailed the Washington football team president at the time, uh, Bruce Allen, saying uh, the talking about uh, DeMaurice Smith, who is black, had the lips the size of Michelin tires. That was back in 2011. Uh, Gruden also made a vulgar comment about the NFL commissioner, Roger Goodell. We find out now what that was, uh, basically using a homophobic term there. Um, We also find out that uh, there were other things uh, that uh, were in various emails. And the NFL went through 650,000 emails. And uh, so a lot of people are going, well, where did this come from? Well, the emails were gathered from 2011 to 2018 as part of the Washington football team investigation going into the workplace misconduct involving owner Dan Snyder. So obviously Bruce Allen... Uh, who was there in that building and you know you know worked for Snyder at that point in time? Now Allen was fired a couple of years ago, and uh, again Gruden 
also used some other racist terms when he was uh, talking about, uh, used the term queer in talking about the Rams drafting Michael Sam uh, out of Missouri. Uh, paraphrasing here, saying that Goodell should not have pressured Jeff Fisher and the Rams to draft queers. Uh, so like we said, Allen was fired in 2019. NFL has gone through all kinds of email. Gruden addressed his players in a Friday morning meeting, letting them know that this article and these things were going to be coming out. Uh, the Raiders did not play well Sunday at Allegiant Stadium. And uh, we heard from John Gruden yesterday. The, we played his comments. We heard some audio we played from Derek Carr yesterday. Josh Jacobs, we talked about what he had to say. He goes, I've been around this guy for three years. Never felt any certain type of way about him. He's never rubbed me a certain way, that type of way. I mean, what he said is what he said at the end of the day, too. I mean, I definitely trust him, but it was 10 years ago, and people grow. Well, now more details have come out, and the NFL made their statement saying that uh, John Gruden uh, denigrating D. Maurice Smith is appalling. Uh wholly contrary to the NFL's values because we condemn the statement and regret any harm that uh, its publication may inflict on Mr. Smith or anyone else. And then DeMaurice Smith's statement was, this is not the first racist comment that I've heard, and it probably will not be the last. Racism like this comes from the fact that I've been at the same table as they they have been for quite some time, and they don't like... uh, they don't like the look that it gives the NFL. So uh, there it is. All right. So, Sam, with all that being said, I, I want to get some some thoughts from you here and covering the Raiders. And the Raiders now have made uh, an announcement that they have gone with an interim head coach. It is the special teams coordinator who has been with John Gruden for a long, long time. Uh, how is it in Raider land today? Yeah, I mean, that's quite a bit to digest, right, CC? I mean, it feels like, first and foremost, um, eight days ago or nine days ago or whatever, the Raiders were undefeated, going into a primetime game on Monday Night Football against a division rival with a chance to move to 4-0 for the first time since 2002 after starting 3-0 for the first time since 2002. So let's just put that out there, right? Yep. Things were all good. You know the lyric. It was all good just a week ago. The great, the worst, the great Jay-Z. It was all good just a week ago. It was. It really was. And, and all, all of a sudden, the, the, the trajectory of this franchise this season takes a complete 180. Yeah, this is devastating, CC. Devastating on a number of levels. This is, um, you know, the leader of the franchise, the face, one of the faces of a, let's, let's call it what it is, a multi-billion dollar enterprise, right, uh, with the Raiders, the franchise, and, of course, the NFL. So you're one of the representatives for one of the biggest businesses in the world. And that, regardless of if, if he held that position or not, obviously the viewpoints of what he communicated was absolutely deplorable. It doesn't matter if you're, you know, a regular civilian or if you're the face of the company. You can't be talking like that and feeling like that. There's no place for that, period. I don't need to pile on. That goes without saying. Uh, but in terms of how things are in the Raider land, I mean, it's, it's, it's a total upheaval. It's a ray. This is the leader of the locker room and the leader of the franchise wasn't who you thought he was all along. And um, that's, that's, what we, that's what we've come to learn. This isn't, you know, these aren't, the 2018 was three years ago, right? That's not that long ago. And, you know, how much do people really change when they're in their, you know, late 50s and stuff and are communicating like this over a consistent period of time? I think, you know, we love to assume that people grow, but, like, do they? Like, does everybody grow? I don't think we can just automatically assume that every step of adversity is going to create some growth. I think that's a, 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 a nice narrative, a cozy narrative that we tell ourselves, but I'm not sure how real that actually is. And clearly, John Gruden was capable of representing himself one way in the public and being, being a completely other way privately for a long, long time. So I, I imagine that act continued, you know, during his tenure here in the 
with the Raiders. I'm not sure. You know, I'm not. I don't know how he communicated with his players or what exactly his emails were saying. And stuff. I have no knowledge of that, but I don't imagine he just changed all of a sudden in 2018. So, with that said, this is an adult, a leader that a lot of these guys trusted. A lot of you guys had great admiration for, and you find out he's not who he thought he was, and that's devastating on a number of levels. I can only imagine how some of the players are feeling today. We're going to have to see. You know, this can go one of two ways. You see, the team can rally together, and this can be a rallying point like it was. You know, for the Clippers in 2014, amid the Donald Sterling scale, they were the last team to beat the Warriors in the Western Conference uh, until 2020. Um, so that's the closest parallel I can think of. It could go that way, or this could obviously derail at one point what was a promising season. So we're going to have, you know, we're going to get more answers in the next few days when, when players and coaches address the media. But for right now, it's, I mean, this is a, this is a, an unprecedented situation when it comes to the NFL. And Raiders with an off day today, and then, so tomorrow they'll be back. Uh, at, at the office, back to work, back to practice, and then uh, the new interim coach will be addressing um, the media you know, in, in a highly anticipated press conference that will be taking place uh, tomorrow. Uh, here's the thing, too, Sam, just to, before I switch gears here a little bit, you, you brought up, you know, to your point, this is not just any franchise. It's just not any head coach. It's not a first, second, third-year head coach that many people don't know. This is John Gruden, former Super Bowl champion, face of the Raiders, face of the Davis family, basically, uh, and an ex- extension of Al Davis to Mark Davis, and he was handpicked for this job. He was lured out of a huge paying gig on national television, and if just the casual football fan didn't know who he was. The casual sports fan knew who he was because of his role on Monday Night Football and everything else that he did at ESPN and in the media. He's getting paid $10 million a season, so that doesn't go unnoticed as well. So that's why this story is even bigger than it would be if it just happened to a lesser coach. So, yeah, this is this is huge, and I can understand why this is going to you know, be the story that it is in, in the NFL, but from a Raiders perspective, like you said, it's going to turn this locker room upside down because of who it is in John Gruden. Oh, without question, TC, without, without question. I mean, there's no way it doesn't, just given the gravity of the situation here. Um, I also want to point out here, right, according to the numerous reports that we've seen and, um, the, you know, the, with the networks being all over this, you know, Mark Davis has no knew about this, you know, a few days ago. The only reason John Gruden is stepping down is because he got caught. Stop stepping down for, for what he said. Like, he got exposed and his hand was forced. You know, man, what if that investigation never happened? Like, what if, what if the, the, these emails didn't get hit? Like, then you would have somebody who's espoused these ideologies throughout the course of his career. And I don't care that he was out of the league when these comments happened. He was the face of Monday Night Football. You know, let, let's not act like ESPN and the NFL aren't direct business partners, aren't best friends. They have been for a long time. So even though he wasn't technically working in the NFL, he was very much a face and an ambassador for the league because every Monday night when we flip on that game, he was in our living rooms talking to us and communicating thoughts and opinions about the game. So it, to me, that, that doesn't matter. I, it's just, I think the larger issue at hand is it's a, you know, a cultural issue um, at the NFL. This is a league that blackballed Colin Kaepernick for, for speaking his opinion and in order to protect dollars and, and sponsorships and revenue and that's not, you know, that, is John Gruden the only one that's communicated this way? I'm not sure. You, you see a lot of the discourse on social media is pushing for more of these emails to be released. The, the lawyers representing uh, several women that were uh, part of the investigation, the Washington football team, are pushing for, for more emails and documents to be released because there's, you know, there's speculation that this just isn't limited to this particular franchise. This is much bigger than that. So 
um, as it pertains to the Raiders, you know, absolutely devastating and, and unnerving. And um, I think at the end of the day, a lot of people are going to have to answer for this. You know, it goes to the, 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 the accountability aspect and, and who knew and who was complicit. And if Mark Davis knew and didn't do anything until his hand was forced, you got to be kind of sidelining him too today. Like, there's, you know, there's no way you can avoid that. So we're going to have to see what happens. I'm really curious to see what the players and coaches and, and the people in the locker room who are going through this are going to say. And, you know, we're going to find out more, like you said, uh, throughout the course of the week. Sam Gordon joins us from the Las Vegas Review Journal. Okay, Sam, uh, I want to hit you with this because, again, you are a fine journalist, a great journalist, and this story broke because of journalism. Now I want to look at this angle here. Uh, Why the leaked emails? And it's not like Andrew uh, Benton, who, with the Wall Street Journals, you know, that he went into, uh, you know, found this in some dumpster or something like that, or went to the cyberspace. You know, how did he get this? And who wanted him to have it? There's a lot of conspiracy theories out there. I don't even know if they're conspiracy theories, but there are a lot of questions that now we're, that we should be maybe dug into here. And somebody wanted him to report about this. Somebody wanted him to write about it, whether that was uh, someone in, in the NFL offices, uh, especially with all the horrible things that had happened at Redskins Park. We're talking about, you know, with Dan Snyder. And now, you know, I had these questions a day or day and a half ago. And then now we're finding out, well, this all came about because they dug into 650,000 emails because they were digging into the misconduct that was happening at Redskin Park and with the Washington football team. So why hasn't any of that been tapped into? And why did the NFL shield you know, uh, you know, Dan Snyder here? I mean, no one was really talking about Dan Snyder anymore. Now, maybe more stuff will get uncovered here, but I know there are some people in the NFL office that may want that may have wanted Gruden fired, or there's this theory also that maybe somebody within the Raiders organization knew this was coming and, and they wanted you know this to happen. Then you had D. Maurice Smith, who was up for re-election by the NFLPA, that the NFL actually may want to you know keep him around instead of opening it up to, to someone new then maybe it was leaked because of that, because they don't want a new executive director. I mean, there's many intriguing thoughts out there, but I guess my biggest question here, and I'm asking you as a journalist, uh, you know, why now for this? And, you know, how, how did this stuff get leaked? Well, yeah, that's a, that's a tremendous question. I think that's, you know, that's been a cause of a great deal of speculation nationally amongst both media um, and fans, right? Why is this coming out? You know, what is the timing of this? I have my own theory, right? And this, again, this is just a theory. I'm, this is based on no reporting. Sure. This is just speculative. Mm-hmm. But when the NFL was reviewing of the nature of these emails and got wind of how Gruden had referred to Goodell, I think maybe Goodell got upset about that. And, you know, it was a little vindictive or spiteful. I don't know. And, you know, the, the first email leaks on the one on Friday, here, here's, the, here's something. And you know this, DC, me in the business. Stuff doesn't leak just randomly. Like, there's, 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 strategic, there's strategy behind it. It's all part of the game. Stuff is strategically linked at different times to different hours to generate different responses to gauge different things. So my theory is the first email leak to take the temperature of Mark Davis. Okay, what are you going to do? How are you going to handle this? Are you going to do anything internally? Are you going to discipline him? Is there going to be anything, you know, public? There was very little. There was very, very little generic, um, generic statements, generic responses, nothing that offered any kind of detail, no accountability whatsoever, no, uh, no apology, just very, very generic and blank of statements as you could possibly get. I think the NFL took a look at that and said, huh, okay, this is, this is how you feel? 
all right, let's do this again. And hence you get the other series of emails that comes out to New York Times. Again, that's just a working theory I have. That's based on no reporting. I want to make that absolutely clear. But when you, when, you, when you put the pieces together and think about everything that happened over the last three or four days, I think that makes sense. It's a sensible thing. And, you know, obviously, like, like I said before, I can't imagine that these kind of conversations are just limited to Gruden. And, I mean, as we know, um, and credit to Washington Post, you know, we did an unbelievable job, the team of journalists over there, doing a long-form investigative piece about the culture within the Washington football team that prompted this investigation, right? Another instance, PC, of journalism making a tremendous difference. Um, so, so you credit them first and foremost, but that goes to show you that it was all going on over there, and, it, you know, things were happening with Gruden. Like, it's not, it's not limited to just a couple individuals. So it's fair for fans and media to speculate why is it more stuff coming out. I'm not sure what's going to happen. I imagine – you know, again, the folks at the Washington Post are going to keep digging. Other national outlets are going to keep digging as far as the Washington football team is, uh, is concerned. And we'll see if there's any developments there. But, it's, yeah, the, the whole timing of everything is certainly very interesting and, you know, gets you thinking about what, who, who wants what and what, what people's agendas are. And clearly there was, a, you know, a, a, a want and a desire for Gruden to be gone. And he absolutely deserved that fate based on the contents of those emails. But it is, you know, it is interesting that they're limited to the Raiders and the Raiders franchise. So let me ask you this, Sam, just opinion-wise here, this strictly your opinion. Do you think this is just just great journalism, or do you think this is something that the NFL is saying, hey, we, we want to tap into somebody to, to write about this and leaking these emails like that? Uh, probably a combination of both. I mean, I definitely think that there was um, you know, an aspect of the, you know, the NFL – um, folks in the NFL wanting to get, uh, you know, wanting to get their story out and get their messaging out for whatever reason. But I also think that, you know, these, these outlets, I mean, New York Times and Wall Street Journal are among the most respected outlets in the country. And uh, you don't get a job there without being a hell of a journalist, you know, in my opinion. So I think it's twofold. But to answer your question, if I had to, you know, if I had to lean one way, I think it's more on the NFL side. And, you know, those outlets, those guys are just the beneficiaries um, in a lot of ways. But credit to them nonetheless. Huge, huge stories, very, very important and well done and well produced. Sam Gordon joins us. All right, Sam, uh, we're getting word you know, today the Tampa Bay Buccaneers release a statement uh, saying they're taking John Gruden basically off of all Tampa Bay Buccaneers things, the, the Ring of Honor, that sort of thing. Uh, sponsorships uh, obviously are gone now uh, for, for Gruden as well, too. Uh, Skechers, uh, you know, dropped him uh, today. So, uh, yeah, it's just a, a, a bad day for John Gruden and not a surprise at all as we've seen this either with athletes or uh, high-level celebrities who have endorsements, uh, you know, when your public perception is, is basically uh, tarnished, uh, you know, you, you're, you're going to have all this stuff taken away. Yeah, no, you certainly are. And, uh, and, and those are consequences that aren't surprising to, to anybody, right? They're not surprising to anybody um, in the slightest. Uh, why, why would you want somebody who has expressed these viewpoints very casually on a public, you know, on work email addresses with other work email addresses and professional colleagues, right? Think about how careless you got to be to communicate that way, um, especially these kinds of messages. But why would you want somebody representing your brand or representing your franchise who operates that way and who operates with those morals? Uh, it, it, it's totally against what, you know, these franchises or organizations say they stand for, what they actually stand for. I'm not, I'm not sure. Like I said, I don't think this kind of behavior or conduct it's limited to the Raiders and, and, and Gruden uh, and whatnot. I think it's more widespread. But at the end of the day, these, these other brands have to protect their reputations as well. So um, it's not a surprise. I mean, it's part of the fallout. And it's part of, you know, what was expected. And, you know, I don't, I don't think it stops there. I mean, I think, 
throughout the week. We're going to continue to learn more and more and more, uh, and then we'll see. You know, we'll see where we're at at the end of the week. But as far as the immediate consequences, I mean, this is this was bound to happen. You can't communicate those viewpoints and expect to just skate off scot free. You know what I'm saying? Again, who knows what would happen if if those articles didn't come out, if those emails weren't leaked? Like, who, who knows, right? So. That's that, that's that's how I feel about that. It's, it's not a surprise in the slightest. You got it. All right, let's turn our attention to uh, the Raiders. They got Denver, another you know a divisional opponent, and they've got to go on the road and play them. They're coming off two losses in a row. Like you said, just eight days ago, they were three and zero. Everything was looking rosy. It was looking great. Uh, they go to L.A. and they lose to the Chargers. Then they have the home loss where they were a favorite and they lose to the Bears. You can you know I thought definitely. There was something lacking from the Raiders. They didn't have the energy. They, the sideline looked uh, looked dead, so to speak. And so I, I firmly believe that what had transpired in that meeting on Friday was definitely a carryover. It just wasn't that the Bears uh, looked great all of a sudden and the Raiders you know, were not. They looked lethargic. They looked bad. And now... They have a different voice. They got their their you know special teams coordinator is taking over as their lead voice, a guy that's you know been around for a long time. And I think a lot of people are you know saying, well, hey, Gus Bradley was a head coach, and you brought him in here. Why doesn't he uh, you know be the new uh, interim head coach or potentially the next head coach of the Raiders? And to me, that's an easy one, Sam. And I'll let you speak on this. But Gus Bradley is still new to this organization. He doesn't know Derek Carr. He doesn't know anyone on the offense. He all he knows is his defensive personnel. So. That to me would not be a wise move by Mark Davis to to and Mike Mayock to make him the head coach. I don't think they really had much of a choice. You can't bring a guy in off the street at this point in time. It has to be someone who's on your staff, and it has to be a long tenured guy right now. Now we know this guy is not going to be the long term answer, but you know it'll be interesting to see you know what transpires in this locker room with the Raiders. Yeah, you want to keep as much continuity as possible, and you let Greg Olson focus on the offense now, and right. Mike Bradley focus on the defense. And, and, and the interim coach can take care of kind of the general stuff, right? Be the voice in the face of the franchise um, in terms of the coaching standpoint. And he was the assi- he was Gruden's official assistant coach as well, too. Yeah. So shouldn't yeah, make note of that. 100, yeah, hundred percent. It keeps the continuity. I think ultimately, you see the onus is going to fall on the players and the leaders in the locker room, right? Like now we see, you know, kind of the medal of, of, of Derek Carr, of Darren Waller, um, of, of guys like that, the captains, right? There's this is real adversity. Like this isn't. The adversity of, you know, fourth down, you know what I'm saying, on the road. This is real-life adversity. And this is the kind of adversity that most people don't face during the profession. Like, this is real, real, real adversity. So, I'm not saying it's going to be easy for these guys to navigate, nor do I expect this, this whole thing to turn around and for them to go, you know, 12 and 5 and, and to, to rally that way. That would be an awful lot to expect. But we're going to find out, you know, what kind of character this, this franchise and this locker room has throughout the course of the season. I definitely think... It was a distraction Sunday against the Chicago Bears. I mean, how could it not be? So now it's, you know, now it's on the, the season doesn't stop, right? They're not going to cancel games or delay games for the Raiders to figure, you know, get, get their stuff together. That it's not happening. So now you got to turn the page. you got to go on the road. It's a crucial, uh, crucial divisional game against Denver, a rival, playing up in the thin air against a very good defensive team, well-coached team with Teddy Bridgewater playing some really good football. you got to figure out a way to, to rally together and, and give your best effort in that game. We'll see what happens. I mean, it's, it's, there's so much unknown right now. And we're going to learn a lot throughout the course of this week and, then of course, on Sunday afternoon. All right, brother. We'll talk to you soon, Sam. Appreciate the insight today, my friend. Always great conversation. Anytime, PC. Appreciate you having me. Talk soon. There he is, uh, Sam Gordon, Las Vegas Review Journal, who's on this story covering it, uh, covering the Raiders. All right. Uh, appreciate Bob Aaron for joining us today, talking uh, the wrap-up of Fury Wilder 3. 
and a look ahead to Crawford Porter, which uh, coming Mandalay Bay on November the 20th. Looking forward to that. All right. Also, uh, Steve Sachs for joining us, talking a little Major League Baseball, and Brian Blessing joined us early on today, talking about the Golden Knights home opener tonight. Looking forward to being there tonight as they take on the brand new Seattle Kraken and uh, face off uh, about 7:15 tonight, T-Mobile Arena. Miss any part of the show, you know where to go. Go to the website, tcmartinshow.com. Congratulations to the Houston Astros. My boy Dusty Baker with the Eric Clapton reference. Yeah. Those accusations, baby. Better watch out. And they beat down the White Sox today, 10-1. to They will face the Boston Red Sox game one Friday in Houston. And I'll talk to you from there. Back at it again tomorrow. In the meantime, have yourself a good one. Miss any part of the show? TCMartinShow.com.